want to welcome you this morning. My name is Chris. I'm the campus pastor here, Milestone McKinney. And as Alex said, we know that each and every week it's someone's first time. That's a big deal to us. And so if I haven't had an opportunity to meet you this morning, I look forward to meeting you after service. Uh, at the beginning of each year, we'll share a word for the year. And this year the word was engage. And so we've taken last week and this week to look at, at two areas I think are areas that we sometimes overlook when it comes to engagement and what it looks like to engage at a greater level. You know, when you think about the word engagement, there's all sorts of things that, that, that come to mind. But when you think about the word engagement, it really dials into the specific aspect of what it is that we need to do in order to step out and begin to try something new. I want you to open up your Bibles, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're also going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, so you can put your finger in both of those locations. But when you look at this word engagement, it really keys in on this aspect of our life that sometimes we overlook. And I think it's the tension that engagement brings. You know, when, when you think about engagement, there's a tension that's created. And we talked last week, and, and I'll just, as way of review, just kind of remind you what Jesus said when Jesus spoke in John. He said, you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say. James said, don't just be hearers of the word, but do what I'm telling you. So right there, James and Jesus are highlighting this tension that comes with this word engage. There's always going to be this tension that I have to do something and not just hear it. I've got to apply something. We looked at the word engagement, and the definition is to begin something or to continue with something. So maybe something that you started, but you got to continue to engage with it in, in order to move forward. But there's this other element to the definition of engagement that means to give attention to. And I want to highlight that aspect. What does it mean to give attention to? I want to talk about that this morning and a specific area I want you to really begin to give attention to. You may be like me. You notice little things. Anyone into the details? Like you notice stuff. Like you walk in and you notice they've done some things in here. What are they? They've done, they, they need to do some things. You're right. We're not completely done. We're in the progress. I told you before. We're kind of remodeling and freshening things up and doing some new stuff. And so maybe you notice things like that. Maybe you're the type of person you're like, no, I didn't notice a thing, Pastor Chris. Did y'all do something new in here? You know, you're like, you didn't notice there's a wall missing in the commons and there's this big plastic piece of material that's blocking that wall that's now gone. You're like, really? I'm like, yeah, you're drinking coffee. It was right in front of you when you got the coffee. You just kind of like, you bump along. And there's, I mean, we're all somewhere on some end of the spectrum when it comes to that aspect. But you get into the details, you got to give attention to stuff. Psychologists, though, actually call it cognitive bias. There's a cognitive bias that will help you, but it's also a challenge because it can hurt you as well. You see, cognitive bias is something that comes in that impacts our life. And, and when it comes to noticing things, why is it that some people notice things and other people don't notice things? I'll tell you one of the things I notice, and truth be told, it's a tension that I wrestle with. I've shared with you before, I like something a little sweet. Anybody in here, you like sweet treats? Just kind of like, you know, if you've been downtown, you know, I don't know what it's called, some cookie place, but they got big old nice cookies, and they got ice cream, and you can throw it in the middle, and it's like Rosie's Mountain something or other, or something. yeah, somebody, I don't know, somebody, just go downtown, it's right there on the right-hand side when you're going in, it'll change your life, okay, it's amazing. 
And, and look, don't give me, like, I don't want candy bars and, like, Skittles and Starburst. No offense to any of you Skittles, Starburst lovers in here. I'm like, give me the real so apple pie, cake, ice cream, cookies. So when I saw this, I'm like, man, I like a little, you know, a little sweet treat. Now, it's always hard when the sweet treats are small. Because what I found is I'll tend to graze, and I can just pop about 10 of those things in my mouth in about five seconds. And before I knew it, I've eaten 20 of them. But what I've realized, though, is sometimes things aren't always what they seem. Because as I look closer at these sweet treats, what I began to realize is these are actually dog treats. I'm like, I thought chocolate killed dogs. Apparently, they got non-lethal chocolate for dogs nowadays. I don't know. But what is happening? These are the treats you people are buying your dogs. That's why people keep baking them. When I was growing up, you want to know what the dog treats look like? Right here. Milk bone. You went to Walmart or the grocery store. You got a box. You cracked that thing open. It was about as hard. You were like, do I give this to my dog or do I brick a wall with this thing? I don't know. But here you go, Fido. You know, it's like that's what we did back in the day. You know, and, and that's the thing, though. Is you go, All right, What's the point, Pastor Chris? The point is this. Things aren't always what they seem. And what I want to talk to you about today is something that, that may not be as obvious to you as it is to God. And that's the way he designed you and the unique giftings that he's given you. You see, that thought process, that predictive you know, uh, uh, description, and when you dial into something, you see that picture on the screen, and unless you're just like into like dog treats that are like gourmet, they actually call them gourmet dog treats. I don't know why. You know, look up gourmet dog treats. They, they, they would look like that. You're like, oh, yeah, it looks like a cook. That's what I thought because I don't look at gourmet dog treats. But that's what psychologists are talking about when they talk about cognitive bias. There's something that, we, that impacts our mind and dictates how we view things. It could be limitations. It could be the ways in which we've seen the world. It could be the experiences in life that we have. It can be mental shortcuts. It can be individualistic uh, motivations. It can be emotions, whatever it may be. There can be a bias towards how we see things. And the truth is, I think this impacts the way we see ourselves and the giftings God has given us more than we think. So what do we do with that? How do we engage in our gifting? Because that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about what it looks like to engage with the gifts that God has given us. You're all created on purpose with a purpose. No one in here is an accident. You may go, well, I don't know, Pastor Chris, that's not what my parents told me. I mean, there's, you know, 10 years between myself and my, my next sibling, you know, my oldest sibling. It's like, you're not, no one is an accident. You may have been a surprise, but you are not an accident. God designed you and created you with a unique purpose, gifting, wiring, and a purpose to fulfill on this earth. And so being able to understand and discover, what does that look like? So you may be saying, all right, Pastor Christian, you're telling me God has a purpose. He's got a part that he wants me to play within the world, within the earth, within the kingdom. And I'm telling you, absolutely. Absolutely. What does that look like? Well, you may go, is that even like biblical? Is that in the Bible, Pastor Chris? Are you just kind of like cheering me up and rah, rah, rah and get me excited? Well, when you look at Genesis, God is an intelligent designer. And he created the world with an intelligent design. And he created you with an intelligent design. 
The Bible says that you were created in his image and in his likeness. So he designed you with a very unique purpose, young and old. He created you significantly. When you look all throughout the Bible, the Bible is filled with all sorts of different people with different gifts that God gave them. People like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Ruth, Naomi, Esther, all frail, broken people. They did great things for God, but also had significant mistakes in life. Yet God used them. God created them on purpose, with a purpose. You look in the New Testament. God's ultimate gift, the ultimate reflection of his character is Jesus. He's the culmination. He's a gift. Well, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that God gives gifts and he lists those things out. He actually says those gifts are apostles, prophets, evangelists, preachers, and teachers. You didn't know. I was a gift to you. you know? He gives gifts, and he gives good gifts, but those gifts have a purpose. My gift, my purpose is, as you continue to read in Ephesians 4.12, it says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. But I want to look at the words of Paul in verse 16 because he says something really specific and unique when you look at Paul's words about the way he designed you and he created you. Ephesians 4 verse 16, it says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. He's saying every part plays a part. You're created with a gift and when you operate in that special work in that gift, something happens. Well, what begins to happen when I operate within the gift and the way in which God designed me and he created me? Here's what happens. First thing he lines out is he says there's development. It helps other people grow. You see, when we play our part, it helps other people grow in ways that otherwise they wouldn't. I, I'm reminded of a, of a funny story, and, and maybe you'll remember this illustration. If you've been around some time, you've probably heard it before. And, and so if, it, if, if that's true, just laugh like you heard it for the first time. But growing up, there was this show. It's called The Cosby Show. And Rudy, who's the youngest, comes home one day. And she says, I'm quitting school. And in typical middle child form, no offense to any middle children in here. I'm the oldest, though. But no offense to the middle childs in here. Vanessa says, well, you're quitting school. What are you going to do? Which then Rudy replies, well, I'm going to be a teacher. Vanessa says, well, how are you going to be a teacher? You're in third grade. Which Rudy replies, I'll teach second grade. You see, oftentimes we disqualify ourselves failing to realize that all you have to do is be one step ahead. You just have to be taken. It's why we talk about next steps, you growing. Last week talking about spiritual growth, activating in your gift and just taking a step. All you have to do is be one step ahead. And when you play your part, can I tell you what begins to happen? Other people begin to grow. It impacts other people. You're not living for yourself. Here's the second thing. There's health and there's growth. Now, I know what we like to say because I've said it. Healthy things grow. Well, can I tell you what else grows? Things that aren't healthy. 
You don't believe me? Come over to my house. I'll show you the queso that I found in the back of the fridge. Apparently someone was trying to create a science project because there was some unhealthy stuff growing inside there when I opened it up. I'm like, what is happening? Okay? So what's so significant about this is when you play your part and you engage with growing and how God's uniquely designed you, you don't just simply grow. The emphasis isn't just on growth. It's on health. You see, because what begins to happen is there's times in our life where we look up and we realize, how did I get here? And we recognize that there's some unhealthy patterns in our life. It's like the principle, if I'm charting a course from point A to point B, but my first step is one degree off, am I going to be one degree off when I get to point B or am I going to be way off course? I'm going to be way off course. And that's what happens in our life. We look up and you may be growing and you thought, well, I'm growing. Why are things happening the way they are? You may be growing, but are you growing in a healthy way? You see, when every part plays its part, there's an intentionality that happens and there's health in growth. Not perfection, but health. And then the last thing is this. It said what? There is love displayed in our life and others are impacted by that love. You see, here's what happens. When we begin to discover our design, we begin looking outside of ourselves, we listen more, we love purposefully, and we serve others intentionally. But that can only happen when we see the part that we play. Every part plays its part. And so what I want to talk to you about today is what it looks like to engage in your gifting. The truth is, this is not everyone, church. Everyone has a part to play. Everyone is significant. That's why when you walk in the back, you hear them learn each and every weekend. You don't have to wait to be great. You can be a great kid. In Elevate, they learn. You don't have to wait to be great. You can be a great student. It's why for us, we help you take next steps, discover your design, and walk in the fullness of who God called you to be and how he created you. Because what happens is when every part plays its part, The whole is strengthened. People grow. There's health. People experience the love of Christ. And so I am passionate about this because what happens is when you begin to discover that and operate operate in it, that's when impact begins to happen and begins to change. So as I thought about you and I thought about, okay, how do we do this? How do we engage? You're like, all right, Pastor Chris, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're talking about. You're saying God created me on purpose, with purpose, unique. All right, awesome. Is this just like a a feel-good message? I walk away knowing God loves me and created me in a unique way. No, no, no. That is part of it. That is the starting line because sometimes that's not how you view yourself. I love how people will take God's word and at times, oh, I don't love it actually, but I find it humorous when they do it. They take God's word and they kind of use it out of context, right? They're like, you know, someone's kind of excited about how they operate and how they work and someone kind of be like, hey, don't think more highly of yourself. Well, oh, well, hold up. It says don't think more highly of yourself. You should think highly of yourself. You want to know why? Because you're created in his image and in his likeness. What God's word is saying there, don't think more highly of yourself. He's speaking to the issue of pride. He's speaking to the issue of of thinking as though you have arrived. So we have to start with the basis of understanding how God created you in the unique way he designed you. But then how do we live that out? How do we engage with those things after we begin to discover those things? Well, Paul talks about it here in Ephesians, I'm sorry, in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He's speaking to Peter. 
And uh, are you speaking to Timothy? I'm all over the place. He's speaking to Timothy. And, and Paul's encouraging this young leader. He's talking to Timothy, and, and he writes two letters to Timothy. The first letter is, here's how I want you to operate in leading within the church. Here's how I want the structure. It's kind of organizational structure. But this second letter, he's talking about, here's how I want you to live your life. I want to talk to you about your character. I want to talk to you about your design. I want to talk to you about how you operate. And he starts out by identifying something that's significant within Timothy's life. That he didn't just recognize in Timothy, but he recognized in those who came before him. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5-7 through 7 says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, of faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So he's talking about this sincerity, this genuine faith that he recognizes. He's keying in on the fact that Timothy has a heritage. Some of you have a heritage. You recognize you're where you're at today. You're like, I'm here because of a mom. Some of you, you relate to this. Have you got a grandma or a mama that prayed for you? They're kind of the spiritual leader of your house and, and things like that. Maybe you came from a great home and a great spiritual heritage. Maybe you're a young person growing up in that context, and that's what you're experiencing. So he's talking about that right here. He's keying into that. Now, maybe you don't have that. You're like, Pastor Chris, I didn't get that. I didn't experience that. Well, God comes up and he makes the difference. Well, he does that in two ways. One, the Bible says that he gives you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead us into all wisdom and all knowledge. But he also gives us spiritual family. He gives us church family. Because the principle he's giving here, Paul is saying, look, there's something being modeled for you. Now I want you to do something with it. Verse 6, watch what happens. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So there's this active engagement here. He's saying, for a reason. Can I give you just a little, little hint? Anytime you read in God's word where it says, for this reason, can I tell you it's there for a reason. And anytime there is a reason... Can I tell you something? There's a responsibility. So Paul is saying something was modeled for you. There's this gift that's been given to you and how I uniquely designed you. There's a flame that's flickering and your responsibility is I want you to fan it into flame. You've got to actively be engaged in fanning that gift that is inside of you. One translation says stir it up. You've got to stir up that gift. That's in you. And then he says this, verse 7. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. So God helps us and equips us to operate within our gift and within our design. But how do we do that? How, how do we get there? How do we discover what those giftings are when we've discovered it? How do we operate in it? Can we make a difference today, tomorrow, in the days to come? The answer is yes. What does that look like? You see, what Paul is talking about here in this short few scriptures is this principle right here. Stewardship. How do we discover what's going to be stewarding, understanding? God, you've wired me, designed me in a unique way. I need to discover what that gifting is. Then when I discover what it is, I need to steward it. I've got to fan it into flame. I've got to play my part. I've got to be bold and courageous and operate within it. 
It comes down to stewardship. You have to give attention to it. Remember, what, what is the word engagement means? It means to give attention to. So what I want you to gather and understand is that you are designed with gifts from God. And you will only discover them and engage in them in using them when you view your gifts through the principle of stewardship. So there's this discovery, there's this engagement, but you're only going to do that if you recognize what God gave you, how he designed you, how he created you, if you view it through the lens of stewardship. Well, what do you think about when you think about stewardship? Something that's been entrusted to you. How are you taking care of it? How are you utilizing it? How are you leveraging it? How are you growing in it? We have to steward things well. And I get excited about this because my heart for you is I want you to get this. I see, there's times where I'll have interactions and conversations with you, and I see so much potential in you. I see so much God-given gift and unique wiring. But the question is, do you see it? The question is, are you walking in it? So I get motivated by this. This is how God wired and designed me. I get fired up. I'm like, I want you to win. I'm like, you're amazing at that. And that's not just because I want to like make you feel good about yourself. Because if you've been in a conversation with me, I'll also be real honest with you. I'm like, you are awesome. But not when I put a mic in your hand and you try and sing. I'm grateful for people that have been honest with me. Although I still think i got to touch, you know. I can worship, though. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll make an appearance for a choir. We'll see what happens. We'll see. So I, I want you to get it. I want you to win in this. Why? Because in all the 20 plus years of doing ministry... Can I tell you something? All the people, Wendy and I have had an opportunity to help, all the encouragement, all the lives, all the, it all comes down to this one premise. It's not just simply discovering gifts and, and utilizing them and operating. That's all well and good. At the end of the day, it comes down to this thing. And I've seen it, and I'm still learning it. I'm still learning it. I see it in people's eyes all of the time that it comes down to this one particular thing. Not simply what God is doing through you, what he is doing in you. The goal is not just let's just discover the gifts. Let's just operate in them. It's when we recognize not just simply I discover and operate in those. It's that I recognize who am I becoming. You see, because that's when it gets powerful. That I recognize that God has designed me uniquely, but he's also fashioning me purposefully. There is a becoming that is happening, and it's happening from the inside out. When those two things come together, that's when people walk in significance. That's when people walk in purpose. That's when people understand it's not about what I'm doing. It's about who I'm becoming in Christ. So what happens? What happens when I engage in my gifts? What begins to, to happen in my life when I'm going, okay, I'm going to give attention to these gifts? Well, well, here's the first thing, and probably the most important. It's that you find your kingdom motivation. You're like, kingdom motivation? Pastor Chris, what does that mean? Well, here's the thing. I love how it starts out in verse 5. What, what was... Paul referring to, he said, I see a sincere, a genuine faith in you. That sincerity, genuine. What's he talking about? He's talking about a, a motive, a driver behind why we do what we do. You see, the key aspect of our life really is motivation. You'll see people do things all the time, but really the question is, what's being motivated 
by that? What, what is the motivation behind those things? Now, this becomes hard because the way we engage with God and the way we engage with the things of God sometimes is tainted because we've had interaction with people that have had ill motive. And so we've done one of two things. Either one, we hedge because we don't know who, how we can trust people. Or two, we go, we hedge because we go, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to do anything out of the wrong motive. So how do we gauge that? Well, let's go back to God's word. When you read through this word, when you read through the Bible and you begin to see all throughout this word, there is a kingdom agenda. There's a kingdom motivation. Jesus had a kingdom motivation. He said what? I came to seek and to save the lost. When he left, he gave us the great commission. Go, make. There is a motivation. There is an agenda there. When you look at the New Testament and you look at the early church, everything was driven by a kingdom agenda. You see, what we have to recognize is there is this aspect on one end of our life where you're designed with unique gifts and unique purpose. On the other end is this kingdom, this kingdom agenda. But there's a gap. There's a gap. There's how I'm designed and uniquely wired. There's kingdom But there's a gap. What do I do to fill the gap? How do I fill the gap? Will you find yourself filling the gap when you find a God motivation? You find fulfillment in doing what God has designed you to do. You find fulfillment in recognizing that God has created you. See, here's what I want you to understand. Every person listening to the sound of my voice, you have a calling and a purpose. Something you were designed for. There's a kingdom motivation. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. You're going, Pastor Chris, do you want me to quit my job and we all come work at the church? No. No. That's not what I'm saying. That's not the goal. This is kingdom. You see, this is you discovering how God designed you outside of your hobbies, your preference, and your vocation. The way God designed you may make you really good at your vocation, But there is a kingdom impact that you can have. And when you have a kingdom motivation, you begin to realize, hold on, there's a bigger agenda at hand. And can I tell you, that can happen as a young person as well. You could be a young person in here hearing me and go, okay, well, when I get older and when I get a degree and I have a degree in a particular thing, then okay, now I know what my gifting, my calling, my motivation. No, no, no. You can discover that now. In fact... Just like Paul was able to recognize in Timothy, what? A genuine, sincere faith. Where did he see it first? In his mother and grandmother. It will be your parents and those in your life oftentimes that will be able to see the great things inside of you and begin to call them out. Moms and dads, the words that you speak, the intentionality you have with your children is so significant and important because you'll help. Your children discover their gifting, their wiring, and their unique design. And they're all different. And you know this. Because if you've got more than one child, you're like, they're all in the same house. We tell them all the same thing. But they sure are different. Because God created them uniquely. So what happens is this. is You recognize Jesus has a plan for the earth. He's placed you on this earth for a significant plan, purpose, and reason. There's a part that you play, and it's to fulfill the kingdom agenda. Now you have a kingdom motivation. 
So when you start engaging in your giftings, all of a sudden you start experiencing a fulfillment that otherwise you would not experience because you recognize that how God designed you can have a kingdom impact. That's what begins to happen when you discover kingdom purpose. I love what someone once said, the greatest day in anyone's life is the day, the two greatest days in anyone's life is the day they were born and the second is the day, the day they discover why. When you discover why, there's a significant purpose and plan. There's a kingdom motivation. When you discover your gifts and you see that, hey, my gifts are not just for me. It's to help and bless others. There is a kingdom impact that just like the early church, this is just a continuation of what was happening in the early church. You can read this and read in the New Testament about the early church and think that was for them. They had a kingdom agenda. They leveraged their gifts and their designs to advance the kingdom. You can think that that ended in the book of Revelation. It didn't. It's still going on today. And Jesus is inviting you into that, and he's inviting you to play your part. Why? Because when every part plays its part, what happens? The whole is strengthened. Here's the second thing that happens when I engage with my gift. You intentionally develop your gift. What did he say? He said, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Why is that so important? Because there's an active part that we have to play. You see, God plays his part. He gives the gifts and he gives the opportunity. He gives you opportunities to use those gifts, step out in those gifts, leverage those gifts. But then there's a part that we play. The part we play is our attitude and our development. Our attitude about our giftings. Can I tell you, comparison kills. Some of you are so gifted at things you never operate in and you never recognize how God uniquely designed you because you're too busy comparing yourself to somebody else and their gifting. Stop comparing yourself to other people and recognize there's a part you play. And when you play your part, young or old, we all are strengthened. The kingdom is strengthened. The kingdom is advanced. People's lives are impacted and changed. What happens? What happens is other people grow. There's health and there's growth and there's love. You're filled with love and other people experience that love. That's what Paul was talking about in Ephesians 4.16. So we have to stop comparing ourselves. God gives the gifts. He gives the opportunity. But it's our responsibility to have the right attitude about it. But then to develop it. So we have to take responsibility. Remember, when there's a reason for something, there's a responsibility that comes around, comes to it. So you, you're responsible. i got to discover, God, what's my gift? It's why we do what we do in 101 and 201. In 201, we help you discover your spiritual gift. And then we create opportunities for you to operate and work in them. That's what we want to do to help you grow in those things. So you have to discover that. So you have, to, you have to recognize there's a personal responsibility of developing it. But then you also have to recognize where is it? developed. Can I tell you, it's developed within the body and with other people. That's where it's developed. It's developed with other people. I love a good, some of you in here, you love like, you know, the the little personality test. I like a good personality test. Strength finders, Myers-Briggs, DIST test, Enneagram, you know, you get on there, you take 15, 20, 30 minute test, all the questions, and it's like, boom, here you print out this little cute color-coded thing and it tells you what you're good at, what you're not good at, Enneagram this, you're, you're at five, wing two, three, I don't even know that's possible, my team tells 
tells me I'm an eight-wing eight. I didn't know you could do that. That may mean I have a problem. I don't know. You know, well, I don't know. I don't know. It's, but we like that. But you know why we like that? We like that because when you read that, it's probably, I mean, it's telling you some things that, that you didn't know. But especially when you get to the part where it's like tells you things you're not good at and you got to work on, you're probably not surprised by any of it. You just like it more because it's a piece of paper telling you that rather than someone else. Can I tell you what the New Testament church didn't have? They didn't have personality tests. They had each other. You had to have conversation. You had to engage with people. You had to resolve conflict. You had to listen and learn and grow and do all of these things. Why? Because it helps you grow and makes you better. You see, you sharpen your gift. You grow in your gift. Why? Because you need to be responsible for how God designed you. But where do you do it? You do it in relationship. I think about even in my marriage. Just think with your spouse. The thing you love the most about your spouse very well could be the thing that aggravates you the most. I've shared with you before. I love Wendy has helped me tremendously. Learning how to slow down, enjoy the moment, right? You know, just kind of, you know, because my personality, let's go, go, go. Let's maximize, drive, 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 drive. When we were young and married and early on in marriage, I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, she's just like a little hippie, just frolicking in the field and like, let's journal to Jesus. And she listened, enter the worship circle, and they got djembes. I'm like, what are, we, what are we doing? Like, what is this music? And it's just eclectic, and we're barefoot, and there's candles. Like, we're making headbands out of weeds. Apparently, those aren't weeds. They are wildflower. What is happening? We got to do something. Can we get something done? Like, what do we do? Like, Let's just be in the moment. No, let, let's get some stuff done. Or we're about to have a moment. Like, what is happening? But, but can I tell you, it may have grated on me, and I didn't really like it. kind of frustrated me, but as I learned and recognized and appreciated the gift that she was, and she grew, you know, there were some things where, like, we do actually got to get some stuff done. Though. I mean, you can't just journal and talk to Jesus. I mean, Jesus, I love you. I'm not saying we can't talk to you. I can pray without ceasing. But, I mean, we actually got to, can we, can, we, can we pray without ceasing and actually, like, do some stuff around the house, too? You know, I don't know. Do we have to, like, be in a field, you know, and journal to do that? I don't know. But can I tell you what happened? She helped me learn so much. And God knew. I, I needed that because God was going to give me three little girls. That Can I tell you, they don't really respond real well to go, 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 drive, drive, drive. They got their own time. That's just one of them. Their own thing. And then the feelings and emotions. And then they got hair and bows and clothes. And I don't like the way that feels. And I don't, I don't want, that's not cute. I'm like, just put some clothes on. We got to go. <laughs> Just get dressed. <laughs> it helped me so much. But, but then that in turn helped me grow in my gift. And that gift helped Wendy. And Wendy grew in her gift. And that gift helped me. But where did that happen? That hap- happened by us engaging and using our gifting. But it, it took intentional development. It took time. I'm grateful for, for my leaders and pastors in my life that saw something in me that at 19 said, I'm not sure what I'm thinking, but maybe this is a good idea to give this kid a microphone and put him on stage and have him speak and preach. And now 20 plus years later, here I am. 
because someone saw something in me. It's why we do what we do in Milestone Kids, it's why we do what we do in Elevate at times when there's students. And some of those students are in here this morning that have shared on a Wednesday night. Some have even shared on a weekend before here. Why is that so important? Because we're not looking like, oh, were they the, the most amazing communicator in the world and they're awesome and perfect? No. The goal is we're just going gonna, gonna to get them to start engaging in their gift because as you intentionally do that, can I tell you something? You begin to develop it. You develop it. Because here's the third thing that happens. The third thing that happens when we engage in our gift is you build confidence in the gifts that God gave you when you use them. You only gain a confidence when you begin to use them. Now, the confidence is not just solely in I'm confident in who I am and I'm confident just in the gift. You're confident in the gift giver. But you become confident, okay, God, maybe you did design me in this way. God, maybe you have given. And you start, again, there's the intentionality of developing it and getting better, but not just at the sake of getting better so you're better for better sake and you give yourself a pat on the back, but you're better because why? When you play your part, the whole is strengthened. Others grow. Others are impacted. There's health and growth. People experience the love of Jesus Christ when you operate in that gift. Your gift could be administration. Can I tell you something? We could have the most amazing, creative, awesome expanse. But anybody who's got any inkling of any kind of administration, if there's no organization, people are like, that was a great experience, but my goodness, it's like a circus. What is happening? Is there any order? I'm grateful for those. And we have some on our team, but I'm grateful for those that through a volunteer standpoint, they're like, hey, I want to help out. We have one young lady who's helping out with Serve Day. I mean, she's a, an admin whiz. I mean, she just kind of like look at something and be like, looks like a mess to me. Boop, she'll put it together and all organize. What's she doing? She's leveraging her gift. She's leveraging her gift. And you build confidence in that. You see, here's one thing I noticed that, that honestly, in all the years that I've shared this section of scripture, and even in all the years that I've shared this particular scripture in, in 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, I don't know if I've ever really recognized what it's actually in reference to and tying to. When you look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, I read this to, or, to you earlier. It says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. I mean, I've prayed that scripture. I've leveraged that scripture. I've shared that scripture with my kids when they're in a moment, they're kind of scared about something, or you're going through a challenging, hard time, things are difficult. But what is Paul talking about in reference to this scripture? He's actually talking about using your gifts. He's saying when it comes to fanning into, the fl into flame, the gift that I've put inside of you, to be responsible, to grow in it, I haven't given you a spirit of fear. You may be a little gun shy. You may have a little fear on using your gift. But he said, I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. What is power, love, and a sound mind? Power is the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's where the power comes from. Not in your, just your skill set and your ability to execute. What is love? It's the motivator. It's why you do what you do. Why are you operating in that gift? Why are you fanning it into flame? Because love is the motivation. You love other people and you want other people to experience the love of Christ. Self-control. One translation says sound mind. What is that? It's wisdom. It's wisdom. When I lean into wisdom, when I lean into other voices in my life, when I begin to do those things, what begins to happen now is when I have 
the Holy Spirit empowering me, love is my motivation, and I'm seeking wisdom, I can be bold and courageous in stepping out and using the gift that God has given me and operating in the way he's uniquely designed me. When we begin to understand that as a church family, Jesus changed the world with 12 disciples. Imagine what could happen in our community, our city, and our region if just the people in this room, not even the people in the first service, just the people in this room, recognized like the early disciples did, I'm going to leverage my gifts and how I'm designed and called for a kingdom agenda that none should perish to make disciples and see people's lives, families, generations transformed. I'm going to give you two real practical ways to do that, and then I'm going to pray for you. First is this, Easter's coming up. And there's a way you can leverage your gifting. Maybe it's serving. You could serve at one of our Easter services. We'll have some additional services. We'll have a service on Good Friday as well. And so we have many on our serve team, but maybe you haven't taken that step. But you'll see on social media, and we'll have different links that we'll send out and push out. You can get on board, and even if you haven't had an opportunity to take your next step in doing one-on-one and two-on-one, maybe you get on board and you start serving. Leverage your gift. Maybe you have a gift of hospitality. You're like, man, I'd love to be here and be a part of that hospitality team. Make people feel welcome when they come in for Easter, when they bring their family. Maybe you're like, man, I just love talking to people. You got the, you, you got the gift of y'all come. You know what I'm talking about? You just invite folk. You're just inviting everyone you know. Y'all come. Y'all come. Y'all come. Y'all come. Some of you got it more than you think. So Easter is a great way to leverage how God wired and designed you. But there's another one. We've talked about it a couple of times. You saw a video about it. Serve Day. On your way out to the right-hand side, you can find out more about some of the serve projects. And we have some really neat intentional projects that maybe you have uh, the talent and skill with like some skilled labor. Maybe you just love people. Maybe you love the elderly. Maybe you love kiddos. Maybe you love whatever it may be that you can leverage your, your gifting and just getting involved and getting connected.